Gracious God, may only your words be spoken and your words be heard. Amen. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, even if it's only from hearing Linus read those words at the end of the Charlie Brown Christmas special, those lines from the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke are familiar to us, so very familiar. And the words are so beloved, so treasured, especially if we allow ourselves, as I just did, to keep referring to the swaddles that Mary wrapped Jesus in as, well, swaddling clothes, instead of the maybe technically more accurate but definitely less poetic bands of cloth. But let's not get wrapped up in semantics because the most important phrase, the message that the angel gave, the words that we, like Mary, are supposed to treasure and ponder in our hearts this evening are these words. I bring you good news of great joy, which will come to all the people, for to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, what is interesting about this phrase, this message, these words, is that they would have also sounded very familiar to those shepherds. That phrase, good news of great joy, which will come to all the people, born this day a Savior, those words would have sounded very familiar to Luke's original audience 2,000 years ago. And you know what that description of Jesus' birth would have sounded like to them, the people living in what we now call first century Middle East? Those words would have sounded exactly what they were, a bold and direct challenge to many of the social and cultural and political assumptions of the day. Why do I say that? Why do I say that this first Christmas message was a direct challenge to the major social and cultural and political assumptions of the day? Well, remember how the story begins. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. Emperor Augustus. Remember that 2,000 years ago, people in that part of the world, at least the non-Jewish people, believed that emperors were not merely human beings, but were divine man-gods. From at least the time of Alexander the Great in 400 BC, right up to the time of Joseph and Mary's trip to Bethlehem, kings and emperors were in many ways worshipped the way that people worshipped God or gods. Emperors even had titles like Kistase, 
which means founder or creator, or urgetes, which means benefactor, or get this, sotar, which means savior. In the year 9 BC, an inscription was made to Augustus Caesar announcing the good news of Emperor Augustus's birth as a god. It reads, since for the world the birthday of the god has marked the beginning of the evangelia for the world. Now, why am I giving you this little history lesson on Christmas Eve night? Because when the birth of Jesus is announced to the shepherds, the same words and phrases are used. I bring you evangelia, good news of a great joy, which will come to all the people. To you is born in the city of David a soter, Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So instead of a human proclaiming the peace of Augustus for a specific region, you have a multitude of the heavenly host of angels proclaiming the peace of Christ for the whole earth. So this message was important because it didn't just announce Jesus' birth. It challenged the assumptions of the day. The one who is worthy of praise and glory and honor, the one who should be called Lord and Savior, is not Caesar the August, but Jesus the Christ. And here, 2,021 years later, the same message is being delivered to a people who need our social and cultural and political assumptions challenge. And how? Well, that is one of the most interesting things that I find about the first Christmas. When God chose to most fully reveal God's own self to the world, God did not do it by giving us a doctrine or an ideology. God came as a person, Jesus. And when here, Jesus did not leave lots of rules to follow. When people asked Jesus for guidance, he didn't say, under X circumstances, do Y things. Instead, he told stories. A lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus, instead of giving a technical answer to the lawyer, begins with essentially, you know, once upon a time, and he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, a story about leaving the side of the street called propriety and perfectionism and legalism and crossing over to the other side of the street that's called kindness and justice and mercy. Look, doctrines come and go. Statutes, coins, buildings come and go. 
But we are here tonight celebrating the birth of this person more than 2,000 years later because of stories. Stories that transcend every culture and every age. And stories that continue to challenge the social and the political and cultural assumptions of our day. But, as my clergy colleague Kelly Moody has pointed out, even though Jesus' stories, his parables, transcend every culture and age, it does not mean that they are simple. Anyone who's read the parables know that they don't come tied up in a nice little Christmas boat. The story of the prodigal son ends with the older brother refusing to join the party. The parable of the lost sheep? How counterintuitive can you get? Who would walk away from 99 sheep to go looking for the unruly one? Why would the sower, a professional farmer, scatter seed around on rocky ground. Jesus' stories are challenging. They're surprising. Oftentimes, they are super frustrating. And they almost always take an unexpected turn. They are stories that you really have to work at. But Jesus was trying to get people to challenge their assumptions, to see the world, to see ourselves to see our relationships in a whole new way, to look at life through a new frame. And so he takes the ordinary activities of life, like farming and weddings and your relationship to your employer, and tells stories that always have a twist. He tells stories that are challenging and surprising and frustrating and unexpected because that's how our lives are. Your story, my story, is challenging and surprising and frustrating and unexpected. And that's the gorgeous thing about parables. They're so reflective of our ordinary lives. Our ordinary stories, our ordinary times. And that dynamic right there is what I find so exciting about God. Over and over again, one of God's characteristics is to take the ordinary and to transform it. You know, so often we think that if if we want to encounter God, we assume that we need to be special or holy or prayerful people. Or we assume that we need to be doing something special, like meditating quietly or reading the Bible. Or that we need to put ourselves in special places to meet God, like retreat centers or churches. But God comes to shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. World history changing news is first delivered to ordinary people while they were out doing their job and they didn't expect it. So, I bring you good news of great joy this evening. 
Christmas is not about God on high demoting God's self somehow into the messy stuff of human life. No. Christmas is about God taking the messy stuff of human life, God taking our lives, every part of our lives, and promoting them up into God's life. Individually, and as a church, we are promoted into God's priorities and God's mission and God's purposes. And in practical non-esoteric ways. At communion, ordinary bread and ordinary wine is lifted up at this table and elevated into something different. And then it is given right back to nourish those who come to this table hungry. Our financial offerings that we receive are also lifted up and elevated and transformed into year-round mission and ministry, good news to the poor in Asheville and western North Carolina and around the world. And at Christmas, we, you and I, are lifted up. You and I are elevated into new people and then sent out into the world to nourish and to encourage the world to be a light in the darkness. Then and now, Christmas is about God moving among us and using us, transforming our ordinary, complicated, messy lives. Transforming ordinary people to do extraordinary and even miraculous things. In a world that is so hungry for nourishment and encouragement, God transforms us individually and as a faith community into the body of Christ, given and broken for the world that God loves. We are sent out right into the messy middle of a world that is hungry for hope. And right in a messy world hungry for hope, God is born again tonight no less than 2,021 years ago. Because that first Christmas, love and mercy and hope took human form, upended all assumptions, and offered us an authentic life. And this Christmas, right here, right now, through you, hope and love and mercy take human form. As the ordinary members of the body of Christ upend cultural and societal and political expectations and assumptions and become the extraordinary body of Christ. God alive, God made real, God made flesh in the world tonight. Amen.